Fletcher has more experience with propulsion systems. But Carstairs is better with people. Considering this is a supervisory position, I'd go with her. I guess you're right. Didn't we just do crew evaluation reports? Three months ago. Seems like three weeks. Why don't we just give everybody a promotion and call it a night? Space. The final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. It's ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode two of Gimme That Star Trek. I'm Siskoid, and this show is a proud member of the Fire and Water Network in support of that poor franchise that no one talks about now, Star Trek. All series and topics are on the table, and today, to help me go next gen, I'd like to welcome my guest, David Ace Gutierrez, all the way out there in California. How are you, David? I'm fine, uh, Siskoid. Thanks for having me on today. This is like a coast-to-coast call. I'm, you know, Atlantic Canada to California. Couldn't be any farther on the continent. Thanks for, for being here today. We'll be talking about uh, TNG characters we wish we'd seen more of. And I think that while we could have done this with any of the series, you know, the shows after Next Gen had a lot of recurring characters because they took place in the more in more limited environments. TNG gave us seven whole seasons and four films of exploration and adventure, and we met a lot of people during its continuing mission. Some of them all too briefly. So we've each picked a handful of them to discuss during the show, and we might even have some in common. Who knows? We didn't We didn't compare lists, right? We didn't compare lists. This is the first time I'm hearing yours, and I think it's the first time you're hearing mine. Yeah, we've trolled each other quite a lot online about who we might put on the list. And I say troll because I don't know how serious you were with, your <laughs> with the shout-outs you gave. Who did I say? Um... The Bullion Barber? There were, I don't know, like Adam Scott in First Contact. Anyway, we'll see if they're on the oh, list yeah. for real. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> they might be. But before we go any further, that's, there's the matter of the short quiz all guests must answer. If only to give our listeners an idea of where you're coming from as a Trekkie. So, uh, David, what got you into Star Trek? What does it mean to you? The answer to the first question is my dad. Uh, I just remember it kind of being on uh, really early on in my life. Um, and uh, I think what drew me in, maybe this says a lot about me, was Uhura. I remember <laughs> seeing this beautiful woman in this red dress. And uh, maybe that's why I'm a Krista Berg fan today. But I just saw her and, uh, wow, what is this? And then um, Spock was kind of spooky but intriguing at the same time. And then uh, I was immediately drawn to uh, the uh, almost the almost the arch nature of <laughs> William Shatner's acting, and then you had a ship, and I was in love. One thing I, not a lot of people know is when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut so badly. And anything involving space, so Star Wars, and now and then Star Trek, um, just really, really got my attention. And um, from there on, I was hooked. I think I must have been like four, and I remember seeing. Oh, you know what else it was? It was this the music in um, from. Uh, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the, on the name of the show, but it's the Ponfar episode. A mock um, time. A mock time. Thank you. Um, 
And I remember the music and the fight between uh, Nimoy – or I'm sorry, Spock and, and Kirk and really being <laughs> – and really believing that one of the cast was in danger and one had turned against the other. And I just – from then on – and I must have been, yeah, like three or four. And that, that is a great music. <laughs> uh, it's playing right now. You can't hear it, but people can. It was my wedding thing. It was it? Are you kidding? Yeah, the, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm going to start with a war anthem, just, just to set the tone. <laughs> well, I have a friend who, uh, whose wedding was Star Wars themed, so anything's possible. Oh, God. Okay. What is, what, here are like three short questions, all favorites. Everybody gets to answer them. What's your favorite show of the whole? Ooh, I don't think that's fair. Um, my heart is TOS, but my head says Deep Space Nine. Um, what's your favorite character? In the whole of the canon. Oh, well, okay. My son's name is James, so I can tell you that much. And uh, his middle name may or may not begin with a T. So that answers that question. Uh, and what's your favorite alien culture ah, from Trek? See, that's hard because despite my love of Trek, the problem that I always have with it, well, actually with a lot of science fiction, is sort of the this, the monocultural thing yeah. where all Klingons are like this, all... Um, Probably the Vulcans, because I aspire to be as passionless as they do. <laughs> oh, man. Two guests in a row now want to You're be... You're Canadian. Yeah. You understand that. Everything with, you know, the the, the uber politeness, the uh, the need to apologize for... That's very Vulcan. That, that it, it, yeah, I guess, but it's also uh, quite a... It's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> We're so very nice to other people, but between ourselves, it's, <laughs> it's a shit show. Anyway... I see, I see. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, uh, that you're a well-rounded Trekkie. I didn't answer what it means to me, though. I, it it means the reason I like this more than I think I like other franchises similar in, in tone is because it always has that element of hope, and it's got a real uh, element of wonder to it. There are things that are treated with when they're new with both suspicion and awe, and I think that's that's kind of. I think that's the beauty of it, that it's, it's a, there's always, and no pun intended, that discovery of something where it's who am I encountering or what am I encountering and what does that mean from this point on and how, what's the effect of this? And it's, it's, it's a real both visceral and, and emotional and psychological exploration of things and phasers. And fa <laughs> it's enthusiastic skepticism is what. Yeah, is what you're describing, which is uh, an interesting tug of war between attitudes. And I think a lot of your answers are like that. It's you know, it's <laughs> my heart says yeah. this, but my 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 you know my brain says that, and uh, Star Trek appeals to both. Yeah, my Katra says yeah. All right, let's get into it then. Yeah, favorite yes, please. TNG. It's okay. It, you know, it had a lot of characters. A lot of we met a lot of Starfleet one-off Starfleet characters, but. Maybe on our list will be non-Starfleet characters as well. It's possible. Yes. I will disown you if you say Vash. All right. Those are the rules. Wait, what's wrong with... Because she came back? Cause, well, no, because... I'm kidding. Okay. She was interesting. I thought she was interesting. Is she on your list? No. Okay. No. Well, but I, I'm, well, not a, I'm not a, a, a Vash basher by any stretch. There are no rules, really. As long as right. we stick to the the next generation, the seven seasons and the, the films that feature those characters. Right. Any character... Fair warning. Some... Some of my characters may appear in, in um, the expanded universe, but I really don't. It's not that I don't consider that, but I'm not considering that as part of had these characters continued as part of this discussion. Agreed, because the apocrypha, if you will, is 
I mean, some of these characters were seen again, explored much more, but not on right. TV, not not on screen. So we still didn't see them do those things. And right. Almost a, like a, a fantasy of the writers and the, the readers that they went on to do better things later. So a lot of my right. characters also fall into that category. So basically we'll do it like this. You give us one, I'll give us one, and uh, you know we'll bounce back. Okay. We'll discuss each one in turn. Okay. So who's, who's um, first on your list? Tom Locke. He was a Romulan played by Andrew, Andreas Katsoulis, I think is how you pronounce his last yep. name. Uh, he was from uh, probably well-known um, from his uh, role on, on uh, Babylon 5. But he only appeared, I think, like three or four times, four times, actually, but three real appearances in one holo, holographic um, what-if scenario appearance. Right. Um, the reason I, I want – I liked him and um, – I, I think one of the things that uh, TNG lacked was a real sense of, of recurring nemeses, I guess. They, w- w- not to compare it to DS9 or even to, to Voyager, but um, with DS9 you had people like Dukat where you had these enemies that were super well-rounded and you could root for them just as much as you could for the for Cisco, for example. TNG, I think, really could have used some somebody like that. And um, there was always the, the Romulan threat looming. So who better than Tom Luck, who was really just always like a very calculating badass. And I always I was it was always a treat to see that he was going to be in that episode or in a episode. Yeah. And all, all those times, it was almost always just seen on screen. It was just like him talking right. to Picard, his counterpart across the, the border. And yeah. they never really had scenes in a room together. Yeah. Like, like you and me. Yeah, like right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Khan no, um, and Kirk in uh, in Wrath of Khan. They never exactly. get a scene together. They were never get you here's the thing, you knew that he and, and Picard would never come to fisticuffs, but they could meet in battle and you knew that you had two extremely intelligent leaders at uh, captaining their respective vessels and it would have been a wonderful wonderful exercise in, in, in fighting. Yeah. He also made my list. I wanted to ah. Yeah. I also wanted someone that wasn't that would have been an antagonist, and that's one of the things that because the Enterprise D traveled so much, and that was the point of the show. Even those like three or four encounters with Tomalak are, and two of those are actually alternate realities. One holographic, one uh, in the finale. The All Good Things was uh, like a possible future. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so it's like. We always kind of touched on him, but he was never part of any real scheme or plot more than that, you know. And it would have been really interesting to get into him more. To, to it, it wasn't it wouldn't have been possible, but to see him in Nemesis or you know in other Romulan centric stories later on, you could do worse than Andreas Katsoulis as your main antagonist. He could have been the Khan of the series, kind of thing. Certainly, I mean, he was the one armed man. <laughs> That's right. Movies, so <laughs> That's right. So he's already. <laughs> Yeah. He's been that big bad. Very well. I'll see you in the Devron system. Uh, but uh, throw out a, a new one for okay. us to talk about. Um, this is in the romantic interest category because uh, there of are, course. yeah, right. You know, there have been a few characters, uh, boyfriends or girlfriends, who have appeared and that I've liked enough that I, I wish we'd seen them more. And can I guess? Can I guess? You can. You can guess, but I had like three on my short list. So outrageous, Okona. <laughs> no, it's not. A, no. No, actually, I had Neela Darren on there on my list. Really? Yep. The she beat out uh, Jenna Desora, who was Data's girlfriend. She beat out Leah Brahms, who almost made the list. Who oh, was, Brahms was great. Yeah, I love that actress as well. No, I picked 
Nella Darren, who was uh, Captain Picard's girlfriend, who taught him how to play the flute, played by Wendy Hughes, that astrophysicist from uh, what the name of the episode was Lessons. Why? Uh, well, after I picked her, I read up a bit, and um, Ron Moore, who went on to become the showrunner, uh, one of the showrunners at uh, Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica later, really wanted you know that relationship to evolve with, between her and Captain Picard over several episodes. Where, oh, fat chance of that. Yeah, no. They just stuck to one episode because no one else, everybody else vetoed the idea, apparently. So he was the only one who wanted this to be a continuing relationship. And as we saw later, he was the main writer on uh, Deep Space Nine. And that, that was a show where you could do long-term relationships and uh, have characters weave in and out. TNG wasn't really like that. So you had the, like that one-shot deal. Captain Picard realizes the uh, he can't have a romance with a um, an underling, and um, you know she asks for a transfer, and off she goes. But I really liked that relationship. It yeah. was you know it was a, a question of a mental equals, even if the the ranks didn't match up. I mean, it's not like your astrophysicist is going to go into danger very often. It happened that one time, Picard. Jesus, get over <laughs> it. She lived. But that was a relationship I would have liked to see, or maybe break it off, but she's still on the ship, and it's... And that makes not, it complicated. It's yeah. awkward, and uh, it's kind of like those uh, those Captain Kirk romances, <laughs> Dagger of the Mind, or whatever, where, uh, yeah, mm, the Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. But yeah, that, that was a dynamic that was interesting, and that was interesting for the other characters as well, because then the captain has a favorite, or a presumed favorite, and uh, right. I think it would have brought something interesting to the show for maybe you know half a season or something, if they played it out longer. So Nella Darren is, uh, I think, the, the more interesting of the those love interests that I did like. Yeah, you know, I, I did like her, actually, now that I think about it. Well, I, I guess I kind of got the feeling when, when I saw it that she wasn't going to be for very long. And in some ways, her leaving the ship probably... They, they never really wanted to explore the um, Crusher-Picard romance, right? I always got that feeling that that was never a real focal point for any of the writing staff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess that really never mattered either. But really, the only Even the so, only that thing... would have been interesting, right? To have, like, the yeah. maybe a Crusher-jealousy thing going... And she was probably the one lady that Riker hadn't touched. <laughs> that that would be my um, if I worked on the Enterprise. That would be my main criteria. Have you been ta- <laughs> have you been tainted? <laughs> We've been Rikered. <laughs> and I knew that I could never again put your life in jeopardy. If I stayed here, you might have to. You could always resign your commission, stay here with me. And you could resign yours and come to a star base with me. But speaking of Riker, my next one is uh, is Thomas Riker. Sure. I thought um, the possibilities of Thomas Riker were wonderful. For anyone who doesn't know, Thomas Riker was <laughs> created in a freak transporter accident when William Riker was trying to beam off some planet or something. And uh, two Rikers were created, one that was stuck on this planet and then the William T. that went on to this great Starfleet career. The character that became known as Thomas Riker somehow managed to gain the same amount of weight as the well-fed William T. Riker, even though he was on his own for seven years. And um, what was great about it was he was an arrested development Riker. You know what I mean? So he was, let's say Riker was 40 at the time. He was 40, but kind of still 32. So he was able to, there there was a almost like a brash, he was very much like Kirk in many ways to me, in that um, he was fearless, 
could really just do what he wanted to or thought he could do what he wanted to, which is something that uh, Will, Will Riker started with, I think, at the beginning of the series. But by that point, by the time the, uh, Thomas Riker was introduced, really had been tempered and wasn't there anymore or seasoned, as he comes to put it later. Mm, yeah. Um, did you, were you a Thomas Riker fan? Uh, I, I like Thomas Riker. I like the idea of Thomas Riker, and I was particularly impressed that they did not kill him off by the end of that episode. Uh, yeah. Because you know now you've got two Rikers bopping around in space, which is which seems absurd. It's like when you create a transporter double, you expect that character to be dead by the end. You expect it to be reset. So that was interesting, and you know he still puts the moves on Deanna Troy, and uh, you know he still longs for her and remembers well, yeah. that that. He was time. a man in prison. Was like, yeah, it was like a, that was the last girl he saw. Kind of so yeah, pretty she's much gonna be the focal point of his of his um of his attention. And he did return in a yes. Deep Space Nine episode, posing as his brother, quote unquote. <laughs> in the best uh, reveal I've ever seen on television. Yeah, that was really cool. Although, <laughs> once again, and I, I've got a one of my issues with the Star Trek universe is those damn Maquis rebels because he was a member of the Maquis, and I, I feel like a lot of the characters I like somehow go to the those Maquis and then never come back or are presumed oh. massacred by you know there's a massacre at right. one point from by the Dominion, so we expect that. You know, is Thomas Riker, you know, a victim of that massacre? I just, I hate the idea that anyone's ever had to go to the Maquis as a sort of uh, post-career fallback or yeah. whatever. It's like the cornfield, right? In that Twilight Zone episode, they're kind of banned in this place. And you... Well, I, I don't know if you knew this, but um, Thomas Riker was proposed to replace Will Riker at some at some point, and uh, that Will Riker would be killed off. Thomas Riker would be the character that remains on the Enterprise. Everyone gets, I guess, a bump in um. Promotion, and you see oh. a struggling Riker, which I think would have been great. Yes, yeah, uh, suddenly Riker's at the the helm, and somebody else gets uh, to be first officer, like Data or whatever. Yeah, that that would have been an interesting, like uh, something to do with the seventh season to yeah, change things. Never up. happened. Oh well. I guess I better get going. Take care of him. Next on my list, we we're talking about the Maquis. Let's talk about the Maquis. Here's my my sort of cheat. I think on any list, there's always one that kind of cheats the, the system. Yeah. And for me, that's uh, Roll Aaron. Yeah, that was on mine, because she was on seven episodes. I was I was kind of unsure about yeah, including her on the list. Yeah, she's been on many episodes. So, yeah, that's the reason why I'm, I'm calling it a cheat, because we saw a lot of her, and yet this is a character I would have wanted to be not a recurring character, but one of the one of the stars of the show. I love Michelle Forbes and everything I've ever seen her in. I love that character. I loved, you know, I really like her role in every episode. One of the things, her being like a special guest star, basically means that if she's on a, in an episode, she's not going to be Troyed or Jordied. She's, <laughs> you know, kind of out of the way. She's really going to be front and center, and she's going to be on that adventure. So that makes uh, her role in each of these episodes really interesting and the fact that she's great yeah and a lot more uh like the d space nine cast was you know had a lot a lot of conflict a lot of personal conflict on tng the enterprise was kind of a happy family for the most part so rolaren was that a character that comes with conflict so she's always bristling and she's always a little she's uneasy yeah. with authority and she's another of those characters who went to the damn maquis and never came back my thing with ro when i first saw when she was introduced i immediately liked her but i had some reservations because it, when you watch as much tv as i do you see the tropes right and she felt like that character that gets introduced in the sitcoms she's like the the shitty kid from the bad neighborhood that sort of falls into the family you know like leonardo DiCaprio and growing pains or the 
that one kid on um on who's the boss or like a cousin Oliver, if you will. Yeah. You're always afraid that that's going to happen. But instead, no, she was she was great because she held her own against well, hell, even against Picard. And uh, Michelle Forbes, being the strong actress she was, was magnetic in that role. I thought she, I thought she was perfect. And she essentially I, created the Bajorans. So yes. Yeah. After that, Kira is just a you know a step away well, from and was supposed to be Rolaren yeah. originally. And Steady eventually about Kira. Yeah, and eventually she did join the the Deep Space Nine cast in the novels, which, as we said, we don't count. But she had right. it like a, a strong role, and eventually became a Starfleet captain and everything in in that book series, and uh, Deep Space Nine relaunch. But yeah, on TNG, I wish she'd been one of the regular characters from, yeah. from the point where we see her as like the junior officer that still takes her place uh, among people who are equals, really, but who all have you know higher ranks and better reputations and whatnot. Oh, well, very much on my list, even though she appeared seven or eight times. Well, I'm glad you cheated, because I, I, she was, she very much was on the, you know, she was like the four or five, you know, she could have been, yeah. I think it would be a shame for Starfleet to lose someone of your potential. I think you've got a great deal to learn from Starfleet. I always thought Starfleet had a lot to learn from me, Captain. But um, I, I went with Captain Edward Jellicoe, played by Ronnie Cox. Oh, wow. And he was in, um, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, from Chain of Command, or you mean from in MASH and Robocop? Well, <laughs> well, well yeah, specifically Chain of Command 1 and 2. And um, what I liked was, he's probably as good or better a captain than Picard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he got that ship going, and he did not bow down to the Cardassians at all. He was He's a brilliant strategist. And he made Diana finally act and, and dress like an officer. <laughs> Which looked better on her. Yes, didn't it? Quite frankly, it looked better on her. <laughs> and I think it's part of the reason they changed it. Like, seven seasons, she was actually wearing a uniform. Because, geez, Angelico will always have a, a place in my heart for, for, for him forcing her to wear the damn uniform, which was always a weird thing. Why isn't she wearing a, a uniform like everyone else? How, how relaxed right. are these rules? Well, she's supposed to make you relax, right? So you can talk to her. Mm. Um but uh, no, I, I always thought um, I always liked the idea that there was somebody that kind of comes in. Other shows do this, where, they, where there's a character who comes in and um, reinforces just sort of how off-model your series can be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah, you guys shouldn't be functioning like this. <laughs> but it works for the show. But I don't think this would work in any other given uh, situation. And um, because he very much brings in the, I think the fleet part of Starfleet. You know what I mean? He's very, he, he's the military part, whereas Picard sort of became the romanticized explorer at times, and the, the guy who wanted to get in there, archaeologically speaking, or kind of the anthropolog, cultural anthropologist guy. Um, Jellico was very, like, he's a guy that you think if you went into battle, you probably have a good chance of surviving under. You know what I mean? And um, the fact that he, that like nobody really pisses off Riker except people that. Um, aren't impressed by Riker. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Shelby, Roe, uh, Angelico, they all have that same, like, well, you're okay, but I'm kind of, well, Roe's not by the book, but, the, you know, uh, Shel- Lieutenant Shelby from uh, Best of Both Worlds and uh, Angelico are very by-the-book people, and as is Picard, oddly enough, but um, they still, they make Riker bristle with, with contempt because they're, they're in the right, and Riker doesn't quite Riker understands that they are but he doesn't want to admit it I think a lot of times like there's that little thing where uh, Jellico wants to go from three shifts to four and Riker's like we can't do that three shifts means you get more time off I don't know why 
<laughs> do that. <laughs> Four shifts means you get more time off. Yeah, I just I was a big fan of his, and 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 the fact that when he leaves, he tells him that he had a pl- it was a pleasure serving with them. So even though that there was all this kind of animosity and everything, and it probably wasn't a comfortable fit for Jellicoe at all, he still was gracious in his exit. Yeah, I like well, he, that. Was, he was super professional, and that was the the whole <laughs> deal. It's not personal; it's a job, and I'm the. It's I'm, a ship, I'm, man. Yeah, but how would he have been featured more? How do you imagine that could have worked? Ah, there was always that interesting thing where, and I, I found this out much later, where you didn't necessarily know if uh, Patrick Stewart was coming back after Best of Both Worlds. Right. That could have been a well, although that predates Jellicoe. That could have been an opportunity to bring in a captain. Like you think Riker's going to get it get the captaincy and he doesn't he still doesn't get it he just has a battlefield commission but then the ship's taken away from him and you have somebody who is kind of the antithesis of picard who's not going to let you get away with anything who's probably not going to go on away missions you know what i mean who's probably who's who's going to enforce everything and that's something again Riker in that kirk mold kirk movie mold i should say because kirk tv mold i found was much more of a by the book stickler guy than the guy we got in the movies. He's, he likes to bend the rules and make them work for him versus enforcing them. Right, the cowboy. So, yeah, in that way, I, you, you could have Jellico come back, or in something like um, wherever they have those uh, situations, like like when the um, uh, Data gets the command of his ship and Mister Hobson challenges him. You could get Jellico in a situation like that where he and Picard have to butt heads because they would, I think. Yeah, whenever you need another ship, he would be like the ship in the same sector, and you could actually developed that that would have been pretty interesting or if tng again if tng was more like d space nine became chain of command could have been and like a longer arc where picard is trapped you know picard showing his butt (laughs) showing his butt for for half a season (laughs) (laughs) angelico you know and you're thinking jesus is this going to be the new reality for for the show you know i love when that happens when something shakes things up and it's not you know it's not going to change the series forever, but it really shines a light on how dysfunctional things can be. For the, it becomes a regularity for the characters. Like, a, not to make this about DS9 or anything again, but but when um when the Cardassians uh, reoccupy the station and you still have Kira and Odo there because Bajor is now allied with with the Cardassians, right? It just shows like, wow, you guys were like, this is a completely different thing now and you're still trying to function in in the same capabilities but you can't because the environment is the same but it's drastically different at the same time if the show had been different yeah it could have done that just the way you left it maybe a little better computer transfer all command codes to captain jean-luc picard voice authorization jellico alpha 31 transfer complete uss enterprise now under command of captain jean-luc picard I relieve you, sir. I stand relieved. Next on my list is, let's go from the captain to the very bottom of the ship. I, we were joking about it earlier, but I did put Mott the Barber on my list. <laughs> really? I did. The Not that I would have wanted that character to be uh, on the show regularly. It would have just been a Neelix, a very annoying Neelix. Uh. Sounds redundant. No, I would have wanted to see like that great Mott the Barber story that mod the barber episode ah, where you're hoping for a garrick is what i'm guessing oh yeah well no i had i hadn't thought about that but um yeah that's one way to put it i think i mean it's giving mod a little bit too much credit <laughs> Imagine <laughs> him a, he's a rom at best but um but yeah like the the you, you see this character or characters like him because they're different barbers they're not always played by the same actor and only mod is named so 
you don't know if it's always the same guy played by different people or it's kind of ambiguous but he's important enough in the ship's culture that Picard uses his name in Starship Mine, right? Says, uh, I'm, I'm the ship's barber, Mr. Mott. Like, to hide the fact that he's the captain. So, the, the character seems to live. Everybody everybody goes to the barbershop, uh, apparently, and um, even Picard. And he's got a little bit of hair, you know. He doesn't want the Picard mullet. That would be unprofessional. And Mott is a bald character from a species that doesn't have hair. And they're great barbers, apparently. So, there's, I mean, it's it's a comedy bit. Yeah, but and when I mean I want to see more of him, I want to see just that one episode where, like, like many episodes where uh, things happen below decks or the, the ship is under siege or, or disaster or whatever, you get some characters trapped in situations where they somehow have to. Keiko O'Brien has to do something now. You know? <laughs> she has to teach a class, or the ship explodes. <laughs> whatever it is that Mott would be at the center of something. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen that episode where his barbering skills, <laughs> his moxie, his way with ship uh, gossip, whatever, is crucial to winning the day. I would have loved to have seen oh, that episode. Okay. Just give him that one feature moment where he's not just a talkative, the Gabby barber in one comedy scene with Data or whatever it was. Give him like a, a heroic moment. Just one. That's all I wanted from this. But I have an affection. I think I have an affection for Mod the Barber because he was also a joke card in the Star Trek collectible card game. Uh, oh, he was? Well, he had one skill, barbering, which was useless in the game. There was no way to use barbering. Uh, eventually, you could use card combinations to, to kind of... You could do a Mod the Barber deck. It was like you, there was a way to make a joke deck that used barbering by using cards that change skills on other cards kind of thing, where barbering became important but ridiculous. So because of that, because of that I was in that CCG culture, that's how I got the name Ciscoid. It's, you know, it's, uh, that's how I started. It's how the blog got born. It's all from the CCG Bolton boards. Uh, and wow. so Mod the Barber You're has... You're that Ciscoid? I am. That's there is only one. In college, I started by. I didn't have anyone to play with because yeah, I didn't know any. Nobody liked Star Trek that I really knew that I knew, and um, let alone who would be willing to invest money <laughs> in in these cards. Wow, that what a small world. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's me. But I mean, that's how it started. You're a legend, man. Yeah, I know. I wrote like the longest daily article thing ever, or whatever card of the day thing. Yeah, well, I, I have the same sickness today, as, I mean, as can be seen on my other projects, including this one. But Bob the Barber was important to that game in a, you know, a, an askew kind of way. And uh, so he had to be on my list for uh, that reason alone. <laughs> he did not make mine. Uh, I suppose all's well that ends well. But if I'd been in your shoes... Well, you know, that really does look very nice, Mr. Mott. I think that will be sufficient. Uh, another one that I that I had was, um, and again, because I, I really wanted them to have more antagonists was Sila, who was oh. the uh, sort of time displaced daughter uh, well not time displaced daughter but the ta- daughter of the time displaced Tasha Yar and an unnamed Romulan originally from the sh- from the show yesterday's Enterprise Tasha Yar the first person to die first main character to die in, in uh, TNG ends up surviving through an alternate reality was uh, sent into the past where she helps realign the yeah reset the timeline or whatever and then uh, has a daughter that looks just like her, only is raised as a Romulan, and and who considers herself to be Romulan, although she's half human, half Romulan. Right. So, um, uh, basically, an X Men character from the yeah, 80s. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so convoluted. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
it's sad that um, I feel like they never really capitalized on the fact that she would really make that crew uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Even though um, it had been maybe three or four, it had been at least three seasons since Tashiar was even on the ship. And she, but she was close to Data, so she would hit some emotional, well, not emotional, but I think she would kind of confuse him. You know what I mean? It might be confusing for him to face off against somebody like Sila. Um and uh, imagine Sila post um, emotion chip. Yeah, that's even better. Yeah. Also, just the Romulan menace. They really never put a face to it. They never really stuck a face to it. And, and just the fact that that was a role that Denise Crosby was really good in, I thought. Yeah, I would, I would love to have seen more of her, especially because she had she had extra contempt for the Enterprise and specifically for Picard. Even though he really, he just really kind of dismissed her, like uh, when when he when he figured out, well, when he was told who she was and how she related to his uh, ex crew member, he he just sort of brushes it off and says, "We're not going to let this affect the way we, we do anything." But the, her own personal vendetta, I thought, was it was certainly something strong enough that could have carried some more storylines. But alas, they never followed up with her, and and something they could have even done in Insurrection, actually, not Insurrection, I'm sorry, um, Nemesis, but uh, they chose not to. They went with the clone. That's neither here nor there. Well, did you like Sela? Well, yeah, no, I like Sela. I think um, I, I thought Crosby was better in that role than she was as Tasha Yar, which never really gelled. I think was one of the reasons she left the show. You know, the character never really. It would have been interesting to see uh, Tasha Yar, you know, later on if she'd lived as the show evolved. So would she? But I wonder what would have happened to Worf, really, if she had stuck uh, stuck to the show. But as Sela, yeah, again, it's. Really, the I think the the Klingons were a big hit uh, in TNG, and because Worf became more more popular, and uh, you know they really looked at that culture a lot, and a lot of those characters became recurring characters. The Romulans were sort of set up to be the real foes because now we have a treaty with Klingons. Right. That's yeah. So the Romulans are supposed to be the new big bad, and it was like supposed to be a big episode, the, the, the like the neutral zone, which was the first season's uh, reveal of the Romulans in the TNG era, was supposed to be like, oh, this is like the our season finale, and here we go, the Romulans are back, we're back, you know, that, that whole thing. And then they weren't really back all that much. It's just like saber rattling, and they did not become a major recurring enemy. That's why we're, we're sort of wishing we had a. Uh, Duras or whatever, you know, oh, like yeah. something like that. The sisters. Yeah, or any recurring foe that had uh, as much teeth as Tomalak and Sila seem to have and never really got a chance to exploit. The Duras sisters made it to the movies. So that's, I mean, that's... <laughs> That should tell you something. You know, what's funny is like the Ferengi were set up. They were supposed to be the the big bad for TNG initially, and then that obviously didn't work out. So yeah, the Romulans would have been a wonderful fit. Reverse course. Order the fleet back to Romulan territory. Commander, the Duras need this convoy. What should I tell Lursa and Bittor? Tell them they're on their own. My last one is Sonia Gomez. Hey, she almost made my list. Oh, I really like Sonia Gomez. She appeared in only two episodes: one where she was useful, one when when she was uh, <laughs> one where she was a uh, comic relief, mostly. Uh, apparently, according to the actress, she was supposed to be in three episodes, and they were sort of exploring the possibility that she would be a love interest for Jordy. They never told her that up front, so she never they never played it that way. It was like she learned this afterwards when they released her. F- she didn't have to do the third episode 
something about her cutting her hair or whatever. So <laughs> so she played the character, and the way it was written, uh, the character was a uh, an engineer down below working with Jordy and uh, a klutz, you know, somebody who was perhaps a prototype for Barkley in a way. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, you know, I can see so, that. Yeah, someone who was a little inept compared to all the Starfleet heroes that we were used to. That was the point of Barkley as well, I think. You know, what if someone like like me <laughs> were on the ship and had our own fears and anxieties and insecurities that these heroic characters don't seem to have? What what would happen? What would that character be like and how would he feel? That was Barkley. With Sonia, we don't get nearly as far into it as that. But uh, her first scene is basically her, uh, you know, charging into Picard by accident and throwing some um, hot chocolate all over him right away. It's, right. you know, it's, it's supposed Goofy. to be, it's yeah, it's like slapstick comedy. But having that character around, that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes you look at the bridge and you go, oh, yeah, it's uh, Ensign McKnight again or... Um, Ensign Allenby or whatever her name is, you know, you recognize some faces. They just don't have very much to do. Right. And I would have liked it if the whole the show as a whole had those small recurring parts had more personality or or stayed around longer. You know, those bit parts. It's I guess it's difficult to keep an actor there if that's all you're going to make them do. But in engineering, it's always. I mean, Lieutenant Argyle. Remember yeah. him? Lieutenant Argyle, early on. Okay. And, yeah, <laughs> There are some people that were there for a few episodes, but basically, if I worked in engineering, it's like, Jordy's my boss, and he keeps bringing data down there, and I feel completely <laughs> undervalued. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, okay, <laughs> your your best friend is a, uh, a living computer. Fine, fine. I, he's better than me at, my, at that job, sure. At anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah. his job's on the bridge. What, what the hell? Having Sonya there, is like a nice, interesting character, uh, very different from other characters, not just a bit part that has like one line. Uh, she would always be a little, you know, stressed and uh, easily ruffled. And so that character would have been an interesting addition to the engineering crew. So every time we go down there, there's that extra character, that Jordy's partner. I don't think the romance was ever viable. Uh, I don't think Jordy's romances have ever been viable. But no, they're creepy mostly. Yeah, it doesn't work. But actually, the story they wanted to tell with that was like if he fell in love with her and then it was a reason for him to get rid of the visor because he wanted to see her beauty with his own with real eyes and he finally gets the surgery, that would have been the thing they would have done with it, whatever. Wow. Uh, Gomez does go on to have a long life in the in books, in e-book I think form. she's a captain, right? She becomes a captain or something? She's the first officer in the oh, okay. um, Corps of Engineers right. series. Of, and yeah. it's, a, it's a very fun series of books. I mean, it's like quick reads, really quick reads, and I've read quite a few of them. I don't think you want to be around these control stations with that hot chocolate, do you? Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even have this in engineering. It's just we were talking. I forgot I had it in my hand. Um, I'm going to go finish it over here. A lot of the characters that we that we feel could have done more actually do wind up in novels as recurring characters in other series. But as we said before, they don't really count. We can't count Solar and Shelby and and whoever else you might have. You still have some somebody on your list, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of he did come back. Hugh. Hugh. I thought you were going to go like like I purposefully didn't mention Robert Leffler or you know stuff like that. I mean, was it going to be Cedo uh, Jaxa? I, I had her on there too. 
um, initially, but I kind of thought you were going to take those because I know you're a romantic. So I thought uh, for sure you would have had Leffler and her many laws. <laughs> I, no, I'm, not I, a, I liked, I'm not a big fan like, of Leffler, but what? Well, I'm I am because a... I because I love Ashley Judd. So I'm not even thinking. I'm this for me. It's not an intellectual exercise when Ashley Judd enters a list at all. Yeah, I think she's the bee's knees. But yeah, she's not as Leffler. Not there's not a lot happening. But uh, but I liked Hugh. Because he he was an interesting attempt at kind of reimagining not reimagining the Borg, but giving them a different aspect that really hadn't been explored before. What happens when you break one off from the collective? And then um, that was sort of exp- that was in the episode I Borg. And what was nice about that was that they were able to explore how Picard's um, he almost played out a revenge fantasy by having the opportunity to eliminate the Borg altogether, but he doesn't. And uh, I don't know, I just I, I I think Hugh would have made a nice counterpoint. To the Borg, and um, might have been it might have been interesting to have like as part of that uh, Borg Federation, and then you could have Hughes faction as a triangle, um, as sort of a possibility for for how things boiled out, and and then um, it does serve to maybe kind of negate the Borg as a big kind of black cloud nemesis or enemy, but I I think I, I really think they could have gotten some interesting places with him, and you you know he doesn't even have to be indoctrinating other Borg into his ideas of individuality, and I guess they kind of you know what. They kind of explore what you could do with that in Seven of Nine, I guess, to some extent, right? If you had stayed on the ship, that would have been kind of his role. You know, I just thought of that. So maybe he doesn't really. Well, so maybe you do kind of get what would have happened if you were a gorgeous blonde, for example. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, Hugh, I always thought was, was interesting, and I would like to have seen more of what they could do with Hugh. I don't know how much you want to get into The Expanded Universe pretty much ended the Borg threat at a point, and... Um, he was, I wouldn't say instrumental in that, but he was part of that whole storyline. Okay. Yeah, they, they, um, it becomes the enemy for a while, and there's a lot that happens as a result of that. It's all post-Voyage stuff. I mean, it has Voyager characters in it, what happens later. It was nice getting to know you. Goodbye, Beverly. You saved my life. I must return. But yeah, and, and you know, if you want your Leffler or your Jellicoe or Sealar, yeah, you, you would just visit the... Um, well, I think you're doing a show on it later, right? The New Frontier novels? Yeah, I think I'm going to be talking about uh, New Frontier with uh, Shag. Uh, yeah, I know. That it's, one. it's a bummer. but Peter but, David uh, uses everyone. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, Captain Bateman isn't front and center in some of those yeah, novels. Yeah, whatever but. happened to him. He's but, actually, he's got a few novels of his own. See, so if, you, uh, if you're a fan of, uh, and you, obviously people will get a chance to leave comments and Obviously, we're asking them to tell us who their favorite TNG characters uh, that didn't get enough airtime should have, who are their, their favorites, and probably a lot of those characters did make it into novels and um, comics and whatever other alternate media there is. Um, because, yeah, New Frontier is basically, half the cast is all... People we named. <laughs> it's Solar Shelby and... Leffler, and maybe I'm forgetting someone. Pretty sure I am. So I, I'm still surprised that you didn't name any of the uh, lower decks characters. I wanted to, but okay, okay, like, um, well, what's her face? The doctor in. Um, you mean okay. like Nurse Ogawa? She kind of. Or Pulaski. You kind of know what happens to her. Yeah. Pulaski was great. I really liked Pulaski, and um, she didn't fit. I get that, but I really liked that character, and um, I mean, it's clear that Moldar had no desire to ever come back again. <laughs> and I guess she was a Bones clone, you know. But um, no, I I thought uh, Cito Jackson is that her name? Yeah, she was really interesting, but she had an ending. 
right? They yeah. <laughs> they gave her an ending, and she was a nice carryover from the oh the first what was the episode? Um, the first order, first duty, the first duty episode right. where, she was where a you had with uh, yeah. Wesley. I thought that was neat, and then they kind of had that prototype, like the uh, prototype for Lieutenant Paris. I liked, you know, that she's a great example of somebody that you don't see comes back, has a kind of a really nice arc when you think about it. She's sort of like a, a row in that sense where you have somebody who starts off with a very checkered past, you know, huge black black mark on their record and then redeems herself. Although Roe, as you said, kind of gets, I think she gets shafted too. But uh, the, don't, nobody else I found that interesting from the lower decks, except for maybe the uh, the guy who you knew would grow up to become Riker Part 2. <laughs> But Dr. Salar, I liked a lot, too. And uh, but she kept getting mentioned in episodes. You just never saw her. So, you know, she was she was around. But if that actress had to come back more regularly, I still probably would have wanted her to like I would have wanted as Kalar Kalar to, to live longer. But let me ask you this. If you could have somebody off the ship replaced with one of your people, who would it be? Oh, it's a good question. Uh, let's look at that list. Well, it's pretty easy for me because there are characters I did not really care for on TNG that I never thought they did much with them or always found ways to marginalize them. And those are Troy and Jordy. So Troy and Jordy are, for me, I can remove them from the TNG cast and I don't feel like I've lost much. So in this case, looking at my list, I'd probably... I would have kept Sonia Gomez around, and then something happens to Jordy, and then she sticks around, and she's the new chief engineer. Oh man, that ship lasts five minutes. It's I I want her to be like <laughs> <laughs> to go crazy down there. Uh, <laughs> She'd be stapling the warp core to something. You know what I mean? I, I feel like she. <laughs> I think that would have been. I think that would have been <clears throat> funny from my list. I mean, it's yeah. either that or saying uh, Troy replaced by Maud the Barber here. It's I, I don't same, really have same same job really. Yeah, think that's about. it. Guinan filled Troy's role to a huge extent. I think like that's really what what Troy should have been doing. Now, I'm not saying tending bar, but was that that very big advisory role and kind of overstepping the bounds with the captain. Because she could, kind of a thing. But yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you're asking because you have an answer of your own for your own list, right? I just know the Riker thing. I would have preferred Thomas over Will. I, but I'm a big Riker fan, so I feel a little bad about that. <laughs> well, you get a Riker either way. It's still the same Yeah, guy. but yeah, yeah. If I just... Uh, He's so cool. That swagger's great. You know what I mean? He doesn't even he doesn't even sit down properly. He just lifts his leg over a chair. You know what yep. I mean? Because oh, he's yeah. a giant. But uh, yeah, yeah. And I would have yeah. loved to have seen, and I know it's kind of wrong-ish maybe to say, but I would have loved to have seen how the Enterprise crew would have actually worked under him for a longer period of time. But. There is that alternate universe where uh, Locutus oh. ne- is never rescued, I suppose, and Shelby becomes first officer to, to, to Riker. I mean, that's what they teased in that finale. She was great, too. I would have liked to have seen more of her. I think that friction was, was really good between her and Riker. But again, if you like her, New Frontier. There you go. You do get some of her. A- any other... Um, I had Lol. Honor- honorable mentions. Yeah. I had Lol and Leffler, actually. And um, yeah, and, ba- and Bateman, just because I'm curious what that's like <laughs> to have Kelsey Grammer in Star Trek. But um, yeah, Lol. Lol was interesting because she has that short. Her emotions cause her to short out, which is something that Data eventually kind of has to deal with himself and fixes. And deals with. So they could easily have had the same thing with her. And I, I kind of like the idea of him. What I liked about Lol was here's somebody who created life but really can't enjoy the fact that he did that. But you could have a character who could have been super gracious about the fact that, that she was given this existence 
and she the thing about hat do you have kids no okay the thing not about in, not in the traditional sense okay oh <laughs> I, wait I, I, do i want to know what that means <laughs> no i just have an extended family of uh, oh all right oh, okay okay well then there's there's a weird thing well that i experienced when i had my son James T. Kirk. And uh, it, it's weird knowing, like, I see that he's already better than me in some ways. And it's a very heartening feeling to know that I haven't even tried to do anything and this kid's better than me. And Data, it saddens me that Data could never, ever grow to appreciate that. And I think that's a nice sort of dramatic element that you could carry on until the fact that he could gain emotions and then appreciate what he actually did. I mean, the episode stands as a real heartbreaker. It's it's fine the way it is, but imagine that character continuing or returning, being rebuilt yeah, and not being the same or something. Yeah, that would have. I, I liked. I really liked her. Those are my runners up. That's a better choice than my uh, purely <laughs> casting related uh, B.G. Robinson idea. But because uh, <laughs> Terry Hatcher, she was um, she was seduced by uh, or seduced by or seduced. <laughs> the, the outrageous Akona. I mean, just like we didn't really have a transporter chief. A recurring transporter chief after O'Brien. You bring back Terry Hatcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she makes everything better. That's it. Uh, but not a great idea. That's why it stayed in my uh, in my backups. Again, if people want to leave their uh, their own choices on uh, fireandwaterpodcast.com, that'd be much appreciated. There's also a Facebook page for Fire and Water where this show will be uh, announced. And if you're doing so on Twitter, no problem. Just put the hashtag FWPodcast so it's easily found david thanks very much for having participated in hey, the, the, the second ever episode thanks listen anytime you want to talk trek that is my favorite franchise ever and we've discussed uh, things uh, before where you you have a lot of interesting topics you'd like to talk about on the show so you'll you'll come back i mean at least at least annually oh that you know what make me like you like, it's a big deal when I come back, but you don't want me every day. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's a highlight. You know, you, you know you're in for something interesting. No, I, I'm not. I'm no, I'm no way comparing myself to John Delancey. <laughs> you can be the Q. Oh, like, thanks, man. Just like Shag is the... Um, the Ferengi. He's going to love this. Uh, <laughs> is there anything you want to uh, shill before you go? I will be on this network again on uh, Ryan uh, Daly's Secret Origins podcast. And uh, I just did an episode that aired a couple weeks ago with um, Rob Kelly on Film and Water for High Fidelity. Yeah, so, it was yeah. great. Thank you. And uh, I, I do a lot of freelance writing. I, I'm not an Emmys.com employee. I, I need to make that clear now. But I have done quite a bit of work for them. So if you like, if, if you like to read some of my interviews um, with people like B.D. Wong or Christian Slater, um, you could find them on uh, interesting Star Trek tie, Christian Slater, Star Trek Six. Uh, you can find them on Emmys.com. Just type in my name, and uh, yeah, that's about it for now. So thanks again, and I'll let you go. I'll listen to a promo, and then uh, I'll be doing some uh, some space transmissions. Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't let them Star Wars, those here in Star Wars, talking about Star Wars on a podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and welcome to... And I'm the Irredeemable Shag. Dude, what are you doing? What? Give me those Star Wars as my show. 
well, you're part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, so it's really our show. But if you show up on the promo, people will think you're the co-host. I'm not? No, the show will have rotating guests. You just took that idea from my Justice League International podcast. You took that idea from my Secret Origins podcast. And you took that idea from Dead Both and Spies. That was my podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I sang the theme song with you. So? So, technically, I appear on every episode. I'm part of the foundation of this new Star Wars show. That's... That's true. So, you want to take this from the top, or what? <sighs> I'm Ryan Daly. Join me and a galaxy of guest stars on Give Me the... <clears throat> including the irredeemable Shag, whose voice you will technically hear on every episode, on Give Me Those Star Wars... The official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes and Stitcher and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Subspace transmissions. We'll get to listener feedback in due course, but first I always want to start with some Star Trek-related news, if I can. Uh, in this case, I promised ATB Publishing uh, that I would mention the book one of my essays is actually in, Outside In Boldly Goes, which is a collection of of essays about the original series. Each episode, including the animated uh, series uh, and the films, has an essay that looks at that chapter of the saga from an odd angle. It might be using a strange format, like a food blog review, or it could be an unpopular opinion, or looking at it from through a, a specialized lens. Uh, I wrote about Assignment Earth, it's in there, and the book will be out in October. But you can pre-order it, because it's very small press. You can order it from atbpublishing.com. It's called Outside In, Boldly Goes. And I do recommend the other two Outside In uh, volumes, which are about Doctor Who. Check that out. Second is the news that scientists may have developed an alcohol that doesn't give you a hangover. Are we on the road to Sintahol? We'll see. And finally, maybe you've already seen it and uh, seek it out if you haven't, but NASA has released a, an animation video about their proposed warp ship. There's no other way to call it. It uses a relativity engine to screw with time and uh, make trips to other star systems possible within a reasonable amount of time. So Alpha Centauri might be only two weeks away, for example. And they've called the ship the IXS Enterprise. Good job, guys. It does have a saucer section kind of thing, but it's more of a... And it does have a passing resemblance to uh, one of the ships seen in the motion picture uh, in the captain's lounge where you see other older enterprises. It has a passing resemblance to that, but really it's a combination of the Starfleet designs we know, the space station in 2001, and the Eagles from Space 1999. The video is available on YouTube and has been making the rounds on Facebook as well. And now your subspace transmissions. We're looking at we're looking at mail about our very first episode, which was about the cage and re imagining what would have happened if that pilot had gone to series. Where would we be now? To start with, a very nice review on iTunes. If you do review on iTunes, it helps the show get found in searches and whatnot. So. Thanks for doing that. Clinton Robison, who uh, called his review Set Course for Podcast Enjoyment Factor 9. It's a five-star review. Thanks, uh, Clinton. And um, I, I guess I've got to read the comment to the tune of the Star Trek theme. Great. 
Um, so it would go, Siskoidy hosts the show. Guest stars are along for the ride. Okay, enough singing, he says finally, thanks. Uh, this show is exactly what every Trek fan needs. Siskoid and his guests look at aspects from the various Trek series and spin-off media and discuss them, not as nerds full of complaints, but as fans who honestly have enjoyed the franchise. It is worthwhile for even casual fans to give this show a listen, and longtime hardcore Trekkies and Trekkers will have tons of fun. Hopefully, we keep up the the positive nature of the show here at the Fire & Water Network. Our motto is, find your joy. And so we do not want to dwell on negatives. Although, as you heard in this episode, we've got plenty of criticisms that we can level at the show or mock it gently. Overall, we do love the franchise as a whole. Or I do. On Facebook, James Williams said great first episode. Thank you. And on the blog, where the majority of comments are made, either Cisco's blog of geekery or at fireandwaterpodcast.com, Rob Kelly from Film and Water said, uh, great addition to the FW Network. The idea of the original Star Trek going to series is an intriguing one and an appropriate way to start off the series. I'm tempted to say it's almost too cerebral and maybe you should think about doing a second pilot that's a little more lowbrow. Well, this was it. Shag would be perfect at that. To which Gene Hendricks, who was my co-host on that show, said, Does that make me Jeffrey Hunter and Shag William Shatner? Talk about mixed feelings. Rob goes on to say, I never really considered it, but the offhanded comment that maybe if the fans hadn't willed a season three into existence, there might never have been more Trek is probably correct. Two seasons most likely would not have been enough for syndication, and without syndication, Trek would have been just another 60s series like Adam-12 or Wagon Train, a relic solely of the past. Looking forward to the next episode. Well, if something like, which is also 50 this year, could get syndication with a single season, I'm sure it would have been possible. But while I have a childhood fondness for that show, I'd hardly call it a phenomenon. I got an anonymous comment about Gene Roddenberry and this listener who has been watching Have Gun Will Travel lately and uh, Roddenberry has written quite a few episodes of that show. Uh, it was his biggest gig before Star Trek took off. Uh, and he says he can usually tell a Roddenberry episode without reading the credits because uh, he finds himself saying, this is the most sexist thing ever, which was a criticism I leveled at Gene uh, Roddenberry in that first episode. He was a man of his era, I suppose. And then he came back to say that th that morning, another Roddenberry episode, but this one featured a chaplain named Robert April. Dude loves his Robert April. In case you don't know, Robert April was the name of the captain in the series Bible that was changed to Christopher Pike and then to James T. Kirk. Robert April does manage to show up in the animated series as the captain before Christopher Pike in Star Trek history. Then we have Chris Franklin from Supermates who says, I like Jeffrey Hunter's Pike, but I think his world weariness would have eroded the fan base fairly quickly. A reluctant adventurer is fine for a one-off story, but following him week to week may become a bit of a chore. I think Cisco nailed it with Shatner and that twinkle in his eye. Kirk's joy in exploring the unknown is evident throughout the stories. And those rare moments when even he has had enough are much more powerful for it. David A. Gutierrez, who was my guest this week, says, While I find the cage and its cast very intriguing, I think Trek's Trinity is what really held Toss together. I will often wonder what could have been with this original bunch, but I don't think it would have gone beyond a season or two. One note, that intro, could you have found someone with a good voice? To which I replied, I didn't have very many voices to work with. I wanted someone from the network. And I do honestly think Shag has the best register for this particular intro. 
but it was also a joke because he sings the theme song on uh, Give Me No Star Wars. So the Star Trek and Star Wars mirror, if you will, had to be used. But Chris did say that um, he does a mean if low rent Kevin Pollock does Shatner impersonation. All right. And Rob said he'd be offended, but um, he hears his voice on three podcasts a week, so he can't blame me. Gene did say uh, you'd have Shag singing again. Better off talking than singing. And um, Rob then says, in my in my place, he would call Zoom Yukonori uh, in to do some ADR. As for Shag himself, his opinion is that that guy doing the opening monologue sounds sexy as hell. Well, different strokes. Then a comment from Fiverr's Project says, uh, As a Star Trek fan from way back when I watched 60s reruns with my dad, I'm really glad to get in on the ground floor on this new podcast. I still remember the excitement and anticipation I had as a young teenager in 1987 when the first episode of Star Trek Next Generation was aired. Star Trek was my dad's show, and I still love it in many ways, but STTNG was the one that people of my generation grew up with. I've thought a lot about a Jeffrey Hunter-led Star Trek series, what it would have been like, and I agree with the assessment that it likely wouldn't have had the same longevity as we had. I don't recall if anyone mentioned it, but Jeffrey Hunter died at a fairly young age of 42, only a few years later in 1969, so it's unlikely that the original crew from The Cage would have continued on in another series or in movies. Roddenberry may have championed another TV series in the 70s, but with someone else in the lead, I can't help but think it would have been similar to Space 1999 and might be fondly remembered, but wouldn't have had all the multimedia spin-offs in TV, movies, novels, etc. that we got thanks to the movies. Abel Mavada says, great podcast. I really enjoyed listening. Interesting to wonder what the show might have been like with Captain Pike and all. As much as I really enjoy The Cage, I don't think... The show could have been as fun or as successful without the Hegelian triad of Spock, McCoy, Kirk. Retooling the concept after the first pilot resulted, by accident or design, in something just right. And Jeffrey Hunter does a fine job, but I say, give me that Shatner. That's an idea for a show. Mike Poteet says, uh, The Menagerie is his all-time favorite Toss episode. Putting the cage into that format and context gives the Star Trek universe an immediate historical scope, and I really like that, he says. But while I find the what might have been pretty fascinating, to coin a phrase, it's hard to argue with the success of the series and cast as it ended up. Still, I've always been drawn to those Trek novels you allude to that feature Pike and his crew, especially Burning Dreams, which is all about Pike's life story. And I think the world weariness would have been gone by the second episode. The Cage is the story of how he is forced to deal with it and move past it by the events on Talos 4. The current 50th anniversary Trek novel trilogy features number one in a starring role, which is pretty cool. I know Roddenberry's intention was to have number one very cold and reserved and logical, and Vina has that dig about number one's computer circuits brain, but I have to say, in just the footage that we have, I don't see number one as being stoic or Vulcan-like but simply being professional. We get a glimpse of her disappointment of not being selected for the landing party. We see her frustration at their inability to get Pike back. We hear her snap Yeoman Colt back in line at the end of the show when Colt asks who would have been Eve. We see her smile when she and Colt beam back to the ship. I've always liked number one, and I don't think her only appearance fully bears out Roddenberry's intent for her. Well, the intent was for her to be green, so... There were changes for sure. Are you familiar with the short-lived, only 17 issues, I think, early voyages series from Marvel Comics back in the mid-90s? It's a good project that unfortunately ends in a still unresolved cliffhanger. Yes, I forgot all about that when we were talking uh, last month, but I have read and reviewed... Well, I've, I've read and reviewed every Star Trek comic up until 2015, I think. So um, it's on my blog somewhere. I reviewed the entire series and did enjoy it. I should check it out again. 
Shag chimed in earlier, but he does put in a, an actual comment where he says, Fascinating discussion, such a great discussion topic, and having Gene, a diehard Trek fan, on the first episode just felt right. As I listened, I realized that I don't think I've ever watched a cage the whole way through. Something I should revisit. Shag, that's... what? What the hell? You've never seen the cage the whole way through? Bizarre. That's, a, that's the most bizarre comment we got. And now some Facebook likes and shares. Uh, hopefully your name is on there. If I missed anyone, remind me next time. But uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for liking and sharing. Ryan Daly, Clinton Robinson, who put up a picture of the mice, Talosians from Itchy and Scratchy. Gene Hendricks, liked himself. Chuck Rodriguez, Aaron Bias, Kyle Benning, Jason Pope, Riley A. Van, Judith Wadelick, David Foster, Gautam Sharon from the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, Abel Padilla, Ryan Blake, Max Romero, Keith G. Baker, Dale Russell, Carlos Mucha, Daniel Budnick, Jared West, Sean Brock, Sean Emmons, Michelle McRae Lennox, John Trumbull, James Williams, Zaki Hassan, John Glynn, Sean Strawbridge, Roger Preeb, Ruth Sutherland, Derek William Crabb, Jay Jones, Shag Matthews, Silver and Gold Podcast, and Trey Hooks, and Twitter retweets and favorites from Treasury Comics, Gunrag Gaudin, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Chuck Rodriguez, David Gallagher, Ange, Two True Freaks, Ernie, Dr. Gene Rodologist, Ryan Daly, Trek Comics, Trekbot, thank you, Robot, it's important to, to thank our androids, Comic Reflections, Between the Pages, KSCGSF Podcast, John Bryan, David Byer Jr., Jeffrey Brown, Coffee and Comics Blog, Longbox Crusade, who said, Just finished listening to the episode, great show, host, and guest host. Sean Whitmore, Sonia Ralphs, Cindy Womack, Keiji Baker, and Greg A. And that's all. Closing off uh, transmissions. We'll be back in a month, hopefully with a Halloween-inspired episode. Until then, go boldly. I think there, maybe there's a subspace disturbance or something. <laughs> We're being jammed. <laughs>